0: Lent is a season for fasting and penitence, a season for self-examination, a season for considering and wrestling with our sin and mortality. And so by the end of Lent, we are, in the words of Lauren Stuckey, more keenly attuned to the benefits of divine redemption. We understand more fully our need for a Savior. We understand more fully the necessity of what must follow. And what follows is Holy Week, which is technically just the final week of the season of Lent. More than any other single week within the Christian year, Holy Week is charged with meaning. We are approaching the peak, the crescendo of the liturgical calendar. And everything is designed to bring us face to face with the question, why are these things happening? Why must these things happen? If you look at ancient paintings depicting the crucifixion of Christ, there is often a skull at the foot of the cross. Legend has it that Christ was crucified over the very place where Adam and Eve were buried. And so the skull is meant to be the skull of Adam. Now, that's probably not literally true, but it is worthy of some theological reflection. On Ash Wednesday, we are told, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. These words are taken from Genesis chapter 3. They are the words of God, spoken as a curse in response to Adam's sin and rebellion. And yet, in the same breath, God promised to send a seed of the woman, the offspring of Eve, to crush the head of the serpent and to redeem the sons of Adam who were cursed to return to the du- to the dust. And so the skull may be mostly legend, but Christ is indeed crucified upon our dust. His death is in our place. His flesh is given for the life of the world. Like Adam and like all the sons of Adam, every human being Jesus dies. And yet, by Easter morning, we are once again reminded that his death was actually a victorious death. By his faithfulness, he has swallowed the curse. Okay, so Holy Week begins on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday prior to Resurrection Sunday, or Easter Day. On Palm Sunday, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Of course, the term triumphal entry is a bit of a misnomer because the shouts of Hosanna on Palm Sunday turn into shouts of crucify him by Friday. And so Palm Sunday gets at something profoundly true about the identity of Christ. He is the king of the Jews. He has come to deliver God's people. But at the same time, Palm Sunday is charged with irony. Although some congregations observe Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of Holy Week, the the next major day on the calendar is Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy likely comes from the Latin word meaning commandment, as in, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, which were the words that Jesus spoke at the Last Supper with his disciples after having washed their feet. Different churches do different things on Maundy Thursday, but regardless, we need to understand that Maundy Thursday is the beginning of what is called the Triduum, which is Latin for three days. Beginning at sunset on Thursday and concluding at sunset on Sunday, the Triduum is to be understood as a single, uninterrupted, three-day-long observance. It's, It's not enough to give the death and resurrection of Christ a passing glance. It's not enough to briefly remember his suffering, only to immediately move on with our busy lives. That Christ should suffer and die for us is a truth that demands we slow down and marinate and marvel at the depth of God's love for us. Now, strictly speaking, Christians celebrate the resurrection every week on the Lord's Day, but an annual observance of the resurrection also developed very early on in the history of the church. The Triduum was officially established at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. That means the Triduum was canonized at the same church council that canonized the Trinity. There is a rich tradition of observing the Triduum. The second part of the Triduum is Good Friday, which is the darkest and most somber day of the liturgical year. To be honest, Good Friday doesn't appear all that good. I know my kids have asked why we call it good, and maybe you've wondered as well. To quote Lawrence Stuckey again, The crucifixion of Jesus was not some bad deal that God had to try to make the best of. It was a working out of divine intention with a view to the salvation of an otherwise doomed creation. So although the cross was and is horrific, it's the chief symbol of the magnitude of God's love for us. It's a symbol of just how far he was willing to go for our sake. So yes, this is a Good Friday. Again, different churches do different things on Good Friday, including Tenebrae services or the Way of the Cross or the Seven Last Words. But however we observe Good Friday, the goal is to capture something of the depth of despair that would have no doubt been felt by the earliest disciples of Christ. Their only hope had been extinguished. They had thought that Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for. They had thought he was the son of David, the king of the Jews. They thought he was going to deliver them from the yoke of the Roman Empire. A few of the disciples even knew him to be the son of God. They had seen his body transfigured on the mount But now, he was a corpse. So either Jesus was not who he said he was, or God's promised rescue plan had evidently failed. It's good for us to grapple with these thoughts and feelings. Because ultimately, for for anyone who claims citizenship within the kingdom of God, for anyone who wants to see that kingdom expand, Good Friday invites us to ask the question, am I willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross? How far does my devotion go? The third part of the Triduum is Holy Saturday, which doesn't get as much airtime relative to the other days, but there's a reason for that, and I don't want us to miss the meaning behind the reason for that. Holy Saturday is a day of waiting and mourning and, frankly, emptiness. But to wait and and to mourn and to feel empty in our devotion to Christ is actually very important because everyone will at some point live through some Holy Saturday of their own. Everyone will at some point know the poignancy of having lost someone or something. Everyone will at some point feel the hopelessness of Holy Saturday. And so by observing Holy Saturday in faith, by, by trudging our way through the waiting and the morning and the emptiness, we are preparing to live through our own Holy Saturdays more faithfully. If we can allow hope to gestate within us on Holy Saturday, we will be better equipped for the darkest days of our own lives. In other words, Holy Saturday teaches us and impresses upon us all that the life of Christ means to us. When a loved one dies, we come to understand the power of their presence more fully on account of their absence. And Holy Saturday invites us to feel that same way about Jesus. To further illustrate this, consider what the original Holy Saturday must have been like for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Try to put yourself in her shoes. She, more than anyone else, knew that the child within her womb was there by a work of God alone. The birth of her son was accompanied with lights in the night sky and choirs of angels and visiting shepherds and wise men. At his baptism, a voice spoke from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove for all to see. But now, on the first holy Saturday, all that glory had faded away. What was all that about? Surely this cannot be how it ends. Waiting, mourning, emptiness. You see, it's precisely in the quiet and the emptiness of Holy Saturday, the final day of the season of Lent, that we come to a full understanding of what Easter Sunday means. Hope has died, but hope is not dead. More on that in the next episode.